she was confused. It didn't make any sense. She was trying to figure things out. She was lost. She wanted to love me and serve me. She, um, you know, a day after finding this out, she made it a point to grab a bowl of water and wash my feet because she felt prompted by God to do this act of service and forgiveness to wash my feet. But this didn't assuage her fears or her confusion or her anger. Uh, she started asking more questions, and the more questions she asked, and my answers were just pathetic and didn't make sense, and they weren't adding up. Let me just say to you guys one thing. My wife has got to be the greatest forensic scientist that there is because she, even in her confusion, was able to put two and two together and discovered that it wasn't four, it was three because it was coming up short. Has your marriage been shattered by sexual betrayal? Are you wondering if there's any possible way to save your marriage, or even if you want to? Is there just the tiniest glimmer of hope that you and your spouse can work it out, but you have no clue how or where to start? Hello, and welcome to Beyond Broken Vows podcast. We're your hosts, Johnny and Emily Spiegelmeyer, two formerly seriously broken people who have been called by God to share our story of redemption and the hope that lies within every story that's fully surrendered to God. And we have been where you are, my friends. As a result of adultery fueled by pornography, the marriage vows we had exchanged as newlyweds were eventually shattered. However, we are here together to let you know that this devastation we experienced was actually a gift. On our show, we will be sharing the resources we found invaluable on our road to reconciliation and recovery. We'll tackle the topics of marriage, faith in God, infidelity, porn addiction, and recovery. We will also be taking questions from you, our awesome audience. So if you're ready to move from pain-filled todays into hope-filled tomorrows, grab your favorite beverage and spend a little time with us. We want you to know that your story matters and that there is hope for your marriage through Christ Jesus. Marriage is redeemed. Hearts renewed. On Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Hey everyone, I'm so glad you're here again today. We are going to get a special treat because Johnny is going to tell his story. You know, I told my story in the last episode, so if you missed that, you might want to go back and check it out. And I just want to say that putting 50 some odd years worth of history into about 30, 45 minutes is pretty difficult, especially a story of this nature. But one thing that we've learned over the last several years of recovery is that transparency and vulnerability create connection. And connection is the beginning of intimacy. So I'm very excited to have you listen to Johnny's story today. All right, take it away, Johnny. I am here to tell my story today. And I want to say right off, I betrayed my wife and my moral values. So how does somebody who sets off with such a promising life of you know, come from a great family and has dreams of uh, dream of being a stuntman, playing soccer, of being a musician of some form or another, uh, end up uh, betraying his wife and all of his moral values. Well, I'm about to tell you how that happens. So I was born into a two and raised in a two parent family. I am the youngest of four children. I have two brothers and one sister. And we were raised in the church. That church 
gave me good set of morals and gave me a religious background, but it didn't give me a uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember that that's just something that really wasn't spoken of because I wouldn't hear really about that until later. There were several kids on the street where I grew up, and I won't say that these were the nicest kids in the world, but I wanted to fall in with them so that I could, you know, go along to get along, and I wanted them to like me. And as the years passed on, I found myself more influenced by the kids on the street than I was influenced by God through the church or by my family. I found pornography at uh, at the age of eight when I found found my dad's stash of magazines underneath his bedside table. The rule in the house was that I was not allowed, none of us kids were allowed to be in my mom and dad's bedroom alone, and now I know why. But as a result, I didn't tell anybody that I had found the magazines. I didn't tell anybody that I looked at them. I didn't tell anybody about the effect that it had on me initially, because I knew that I would get in trouble for being in the room. So I kept that to myself. That was at the age of eight. And at the age of 10, I was molested by one of those neighbor boys as I was spending the night at his house one time. I wanted to get along. I wanted to go along and I didn't call foul. I didn't say anything to anybody. I never told anybody. I just wanted to be accepted, so I went along with it. Some of the other things that I did, uh, I smoked cigarettes with them so that I could be cool with them and I could be on the inside. I became a shoplifter. I would steal from local stores in order to look like somehow I was cool and I could be on the in crowd. I became a very angry child. I started acting out in school, uh, very angry outbursts. In you know, things that the teachers couldn't control. And eventually I was, you know, being sent out of the classroom to spend time with the principal, you know, eventually in school suspension and full-on suspension from schools. My bad grades got to be so bad that I was set back and had to repeat the eighth grade. And from there on, uh, I did go ahead and repeat the eighth grade, but that separated me from my friends group that I, I had grown up with. By the time I made it to high school, all my friends group, they'd already moved on. And I had come to learn that the parents of those kids, some of my friends at that point, were telling them not to spend any time with me because I was going to get them in trouble. It didn't take long when I got to Crockett, figure out that my reputation had preceded me from my middle school years and the upbringing and the teachers kind of left reports moving ahead. And those teachers that I had moving into high school had gotten those reports about this angry Johnny that was coming to their classrooms, coming soon to a classroom near you. It didn't take long that the, my behavior problems started to amplify there as I found myself very frustrated in school and I was thrown out of my high school for threatening to kill my teacher. During those times in you know high school, things were just getting really tense for me. I made two attempts to commit suicide in that time. Uh, one at the age of 15 by swallowing a bunch of pills. I swallowed a bunch of uh, painkillers, you know, ibuprofen, Tylenol. I think I tried to swallow the entire bottle. It, it didn't do anything. And of course, as you can tell, I, I didn't die. And then uh, at the age of 17, I tried to drive my car off of a bridge 
right down the road from the house that I grew up in. And obviously I didn't die then either because here I am telling the story. But uh, so there's two suicide attempts before, uh, before I was the age of 17. I met Emily, my wife, when I was 16 years old, just shortly after that second suicide attempt. We met each other and we seemed to get along pretty good, but that wasn't meant to be at that time. I was already dating somebody else at the time and Emily was two years ahead of me. She had already graduated high school and she had moved here to Austin and was working and she was older than me and very impressive and very beautiful. And uh, it took a while to forget about her, but she uh, reemerged when I was 18 years old, her company moved in to the office in front of the construction company that I was working for, and we got reconnected again. Eventually started dating, and at 18 years old, in 1986, I was engaged to marry Emily. I came to Christ when I was 19 years old. I married Emily when I was 19 years old, and at the age of 20, After just a year of being married, Emily and I made the decision that I was going to join the military, and I joined the branch of the U.S. Navy and sailed on three aircraft carriers, the USS Constellation, the USS Independence, and the USS Midway. I'm also a Gulf War veteran, and my service was good, and from the time that I was married and, uh, you know, dating Emily and getting married... I didn't need pornography at that time because I had married Emily and she was my world and everything I needed, it was being fulfilled in her. I had had a lot of sexual experiences growing up through my teen years through two girlfriends that I had before I met Emily. I had sexual experiences with them and I had lost my virginity when I was 13 years old. And also during those teen years, I had been continuing to look at the pornographic magazines that my dad kept around. He never he never got rid of them and, and kept them, even until when I moved out of the house. But I would look at those magazines, use those magazines. I would fantasize and masturbate. And I was also having sex with, with my girlfriends also at the time. But now I'm married to Emily and we're in the military. And I got labeled the token Christian boy. I was trying to live my life rightly in Christ because once I got saved, the power of God came on me so profoundly that I just wanted to be different. I really just wanted to set my past life behind all the terrible things that I did, all the angry Johnny behind, all the sexual explorations and uh, things that I had done. I wanted to just leave all that behind and move on to this new life with my wife and new life in Christ. In the Navy, they made many attempts to haze me and try to bring me into their way of acting through prostitutes when we would pull into port. That didn't work. They were going to, you know, grab a hold of me, take me out, make me get drunk, and make me be with a prostitute. And none of those things came to fruition. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that they found it more important to go do what they wanted to do rather than think about me and what they wanted to try to do to bring me down to their level. I was able to fend off those attempts and those uh, ideas that they wanted to drag me into their world up until the last year of my military service. 
being stuck on a ship, you know, 24 hours a day, the pornography, the language, the movies, everything is just there all the time. And in a in a place where I was just feeling sorry for myself because I, I was stuck, couldn't do anything about it. The onslaught was so profound, I finally gave into it. I didn't give into it, though, in a public way. I found ways to sneak the magazines that were left behind in our shop and take them back to my personal sleeping space where I would, you know, masturbate and act out to the viewing of the porn there in my personal space. And that continued on, uh, you know, viewing pornography through magazines would continue on for years and years to come. It came time that my separation from the military was months away and our first child was born. Our firstborn was a son and, you know, our life was looking really good. We had our first child. I was coming to the end of my military service and we were going to be moving back to Texas. And so we did. We moved back. We moved in with my parents temporarily until we could find a house of our own to move into a house or an apartment And so it was the three of us, Emily and myself and my oldest son, living in my parents' house for five to six months until we purchased our first house. But during that time, the guilt of the pornography, and now that I'm back in my dad's house again, that pornography stash is still there. I found it again. I looked at it again. I used it again. I masturbated to it again. And the guilt was just too much for me. And I confessed it to Emily. I confessed that I had started looking at it again when I was, you know, in my last year of my military service and even up until now. And the look of devastation on Emily's face and her reaction to the whole thing. This was the first time that I was exposed to the idea that looking at pornography in marriage was the same thing as adultery. And that is exactly the way that Emily viewed it. She considered it as though I had betrayed her in the most profound ways. Of course, we know scripturally as we read it, when Jesus says, if you even look upon a woman and have lustful thoughts in your heart, you have already committed adultery. So theologically, of course, Emily is correct. Functionally, it just didn't seem that way, and I felt it was a little harsh. It was a little unjust. So what did I learn from that? I learned that, well, don't tell Emily about it again. Instead of not doing it anymore, it was, let's not tell Emily about it anymore. And so my pornography use uh, continued on, and I would find other avenues from which to get magazines to look at. And of course, and eventually, you know, when smartphones came into being, then now I had my personal walking around stash of pornography that I could have anytime, anywhere. So shortly after that time, we moved into my house, into the house that we were in, the first house that we purchased. I got a good job working maintenance for a high-rise office building. And we quickly, after that, had our second child. We had our daughter. Life was moving along. I was at that time the youth pastor of our church. I served eight years as a youth pastor at church. My faith was growing. While I'm still using pornographic magazines to satisfy my needs, along with a vibrant sexual relationship with my wife, not only was I a youth pastor, but I was uh, called upon 
to fill the pulpit when the pastor was out. I would preach sermons when he needed to be away. And I also served on leadership board and participated on the worship team playing electric bass. So I was very active in the church and my faith was growing. I was learning so much and I was actually starting to become quite proficient at teaching the Bible as you know, my personal prayer time that I spent with God and the personal reading time in the scriptures was really bringing out this desire to communicate the truths of Scripture itself. Not necessarily just the moral implications of it, but the truth, the value, the wholeness, the richness of history and Scriptures, and how it all ties together from beginning to end. I just loved that, and I thrived on that, and just really went a long way with that. It was not too much longer after that. In the year 2000, my third child was born, a son. It was also at that same time that I became self-employed. I left corporate America and started my own lawn and landscape business. Emily ran the office portion of that, and uh, I went out and did all the work. You know, I, I went out with my club like a caveman, and I I killed things and I dragged them home so that I could bring an income to our family. Through this period of time, though, Emily is catching me a couple of a couple more times. Um, she's finding out that I'm still viewing pornography, and we have a couple of really hard times that we eventually we did work through them. We didn't resolve anything. We just got the heat off. By this time, instead of just accepting that she was angry with me and trying to do everything I could to assuage her, I was now starting to shift blame. I was starting to try to justify my actions. I was starting to gaslight. And Emily, every time that she would ask more questions, it would close in around me and make me feel that I was no longer safe with her. And so I determined in my head and in my heart that Emily my precious wife, the one who just loves me so much. And at this time, we're 20 years married. I had decided that she was no longer safe for me. What a terrible and tragic way to view your own wife. That turned out to be probably one of the biggest mistakes of my entire life. By deeming Emily not safe, it opened me up to things of sinful nature that I was going, it was going to take me down a road that would forever change my life. It was shortly after that in 2007 that I had my first extramarital affair. It was a sexual experience out of opportunity with one of my lawn customers. We were active for a short period of time and she became dangerous to me because I felt that she was such a big mouth that she was going to out me, and I felt as though I couldn't be around that. Plus, my heart was also not feeling right about it, and I just couldn't take it anymore, and I found it convenient just to break it off with her because I felt that she might have just blabbed her mouth and, and outed me somehow in some way, whether to my wife or to somebody else. By 2009, I had entered into my second extramarital affair, and this one lasted for about four years. And I saw this woman on a regular basis, again, as she was one of my regular lawn customers. I definitely took advantage of the time freedom that I had in making my own schedule that I could be out working. And Emily was just assuming 
that I was doing all the right things by making a living, providing for the family, working hard, which I actually was doing all those things, but I carved out time to go see another woman and spend time with that other woman. Uh, during that time that I was seeing this other woman, I actually got involved with the biker community here in the Austin, Texas area. And I started associate pastoring at a biker church and eventually ended up leading that church for a short period of time until it shut down. Things got a little confusing from there. Life, there was some turmoil, some topsy-turvy. My life really felt like it was falling apart and nothing was making sense. And I started to distance myself from the woman that I had been seeing. The second extramarital affair, I started distancing myself from her. And she passed away at the end of 2014. At the beginning of 2015, I joined a motorcycle ministry so that I could be purposefully apart and wear an impressive-looking patch on my back and do official motorcycle ministry with a group, and I absolutely loved it. I did some of the greatest ministry that, I, that I've had in all of my years of doing ministry, the ability to talk with folks and to be able to share Jesus the, with them in a way that maybe they've never heard it before, or maybe they're hearing about Jesus in a positive way for the very first time in their life. It was really good, and I enjoyed it. It became purposeful for me, but all the while, I'm still hopelessly addicted to and cannot stop looking at pornography. I'm looking every chance I get. I'm using, and it didn't take long. That some 2015, when I joined the motorcycle ministry, to 2017, when I started my third extramarital affair, and that one would last for about a year and a half until I was discovered. It turns out that I was getting careless with hiding my extracurricular behaviors, my my infidelity. I wasn't hiding it very well, and Somebody had found me out and brought accusations to my ministry leaders, who in turn confronted me with it, and I had to confess to them that it was all true, that I had done all of those things. And as a result, they suspended me from the ministry. They told me that they weren't going to tell Emily that my the conditions of my return back to the ministry was going to depend on what I did next. What they were saying is that you need to go tell your wife and get this thing straightened out. And so the very next thing that I did is that I left that meeting and I went home and I waited for my wife. I didn't just wait at home. I was hanging Christmas lights when my wife came home and I had to climb down off of the roof and take Emily inside and tell her about the accusations of my adultery and that they were true. I wish I could say that I gave a full confession and that Emily learned everything that day, but I only gave just enough information to communicate how dire the situation was without giving the full details of what had actually happened. Emily, of course, was devastated to say the very least. That's such an understatement, but it's the only word that I can I can come up with so that I can just communicate to you what happened. And she was confused. It didn't make any sense. She was trying to figure things out. She was lost. She wanted to love me and serve me. She, um, you know, a day after finding this out, she made it a point to grab a bowl of water and wash my feet. 
because she felt prompted by God to do this act of service and forgiveness to wash my feet. But this didn't dissuage her fears or her confusion or her anger. Uh, she started asking more questions, and the more questions she asked, and my answers were just pathetic and didn't make sense, and they weren't adding up. Let me just say to you guys one thing. My wife has got to be the greatest forensic um, scientist that there is because she, even in her confusion, was able to put two and two together and discovered that it wasn't four, it was three because it was coming up short. And she was finding all the chinks in my armor. She was finding all the holes in my story. And she was questioning me about it. And it finally got to the point where she couldn't take it anymore. And she was going to ask me to leave the house. The only thing that saved me from having to leave the house is she said she wanted me to stay to finish the remodel on the guest bathroom. And so here I am. I'm I'm in the house still, and I'm working on the remodel of the gas bathroom, and things are just not, they're not getting better. They're getting horrible, and I make the decision that my life is over. It'll never be the same again. Emily's life will never, ever be the same again, but if Emily is going to have any hope of finding any real healing and find a new life of something that's greater meaning than what she had with me, I need to tell her everything so that she can divorce me and let me go and that she can be free of me once and for all and just do away with me. So I made a phone call to our senior pastor. This is a church, by the way, at which I had become one of the licensed ministers back in 2016. I was serving at that church and the license that I had had me serving at the church, but it was also so I could be a licensed minister in the motorcycle community too, so I could preside over weddings, that I could do funerals, and uh, also to be able to cover up protection for those who were confiding in me that I was covered under the uh, clergy protection for that. And that was the reason for my minister's license. I was not one of the teaching pastors at the church. So I called up our senior pastor and I let him know Emily and I are really in a bad way and, there, and that we need to talk and that I was ready to tell him everything that was going on. So a couple of days after that, this was now 2018, that this discovery and now this disclosure is going to take place. This is December of 2018. I sit down with Emily and my senior pastor. And I just start unfolding the truth of everything. I let them know that I had been a lifelong pornography user, a sex, not a sex addict. I didn't say that then, but uh, I had been using pornography my entire life, that I've had extramarital affairs. I fantasize about women, and I've been doing this my whole life. The look of shock on my senior pastor's face was profound. I think it, he was shocked because uh, he had no idea what was what I was going to say when I asked to meet. But they were really very good. Our whole church staff was very helpful and very meaningful and very loving during this time. Emily was so shocked that there was really no response that she could have. When we left that meeting, the only thing she asked is, could we go to our favorite restaurant and eat? She was hungry and she wanted to eat. And so that's what we did. And then we went home from there 
and tried to figure out how to move on or if we could move on. Is there anything to salvage? How do we do any of this? I had no clue. By the end of that meeting, my senior pastor had suggested to me that I was a sex addict and that I should probably consider looking into being treated as a sex addict. So I took that to heart because I'm ready now to, you know, get to the bottom of this and, you know, figure it out. In the beginning, I was certainly trying to get out of trouble. I was trying to get out of trouble with Emily. I was trying to get out of trouble with my senior pastor. I was trying to get out in trouble with my motorcycle ministry leaders that suspended me. And I was going to do what it took. Emily told me that I needed to take it upon myself to get us into counseling, that this was not her responsibility, that she was going to leave that to me. So I made contact with a local counseling center and got us set up for counseling. And they asked me uh, if I if we were in crisis. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we are not going to make it if we don't get into counseling. And so they got us in to see somebody really quick. I also made connection through through an online search for sex addiction, which led me to Sex Addicts Anonymous, a Sex Addicts Anonymous group that meets here in Austin. And I found myself a group to attend and started to attend that in January of 2019. Emily and I had a couple of counseling sessions, just enough to bring us down off the top rope, so to speak. I guess off the ledge is probably the best way to to view it. But they had told us that we should seriously consider doing a five-day intensive. Well, we believed this to be true, but we didn't know how it was that we were going to be able to afford it. It was going to be extremely expensive. But thank you again to our church that surrounded us, loved us, cared for us, and protected us. They agreed to pay half of all of our counseling costs. Such an amazing offer and so full of grace. We were so overwhelmed by their gesture. And then I had to sell a motorcycle to pay for the other part of it. But we did get a spot in one of the five-day intensive, but it would take two months before we could get in to do that. Emily and I are in crisis. We're trying to figure out how to hold on, and it'd be two months before we get to an intensive. Somehow in there, Emily and I figure out together that we don't want to make a choice about our marital status until after the intensive. So we agreed that we wouldn't pursue divorce or we wouldn't work actively necessarily to be together, that we would just try to be together during this period of time. This was the winter of 2019. I'm slow at work during the winter and Emily has a job that pays through residual income. So we had this wonderful time where we spent days and days and days home alone together, hammering out, hashing this out, crying, being angry, uh, me avoiding questions again that she's asking, but giving up a little more information and re-injuring her each time new stuff came out, especially when it was something that she asked me about before and I lied about, and this time I'm coming clean. This reoccurring the disclosure, this reoccurring discoveries 
and uh, confessions was re-traumatizing my wife, taking her back to that first day every time I did it. And I don't know how she held on. Actually, I do know how she held on. She held on by the grace of God and that she poured herself into her relationship with Christ, begging him for understanding and mercy and help and comfort because I could hear her in her room. You see, she allowed me to stay in the house, but she told me that I needed to stay in the guest bedroom. Our kids were grown up at the time and all of them out of the house, so it was just Emily and I in the house. But I could hear her in her room crying and shouting out to God during these times. And it was painful to listen to her pain that I caused and could do nothing about. It was again in January of 2019 that I started my first meetings with Sex Addicts Anonymous. I got myself into a group that was targeted for those who were caregivers. Caregivers meaning whether you're a clergy or medical professional or maybe even a sex addiction counselor. And so I thought that that would be a good place for me to go to rather than general population. But it didn't take long for me to understand that I could gaslight these guys too. I could hide and I could go along with the program just to get along without really exposing myself to them. But I really discovered pretty quickly this wasn't going to work. And eventually I would change meetings. So Emily and I eventually get into our five-day intensive. We go to this retreat center to the south of where we live. And we have a very tough time that weekend, but we had some breakthroughs. When I say breakthroughs, I made a decision that it was time to start telling the truth no matter what. I had my best friend tell me through some times as we were sitting down talking, he said to me, Johnny, if you're going to lose your marriage, you might as well lose your marriage telling the truth completely. Basically, what he's saying is if you're going to go down, go down telling the truth. And those ended up being guiding words for me. And the very first words of true recovery and true reconciliation between Emily and I. Because it wasn't until I started telling the complete truth and let all the secrets come out was I even, even possible for me to start to recover. I could hide. I could gaslight. I could lie or tell half-truths. I could lie by omission, by the things I didn't say. So Emily and I, we went to the intensive. And when we got out of the intensive, we made the decision that we were going to stay married. Emily had made her decision that she was going to stay married to me. And I made my decision that I was going to do everything to stay married to Emily and live out the rest of my life with her as a truthful, trustworthy man and husband. It was like a month after coming out of that, uh, we started telling our family, told our children, told our children first, our grown children. We let them know what was going on first, and then we started working on family and then started working on the ministry leaders, all the men and women that signed my ministry license to give me my credentials. I went back to each one of them, but Emily made the choice that she wanted to come with me to every one of those to sit next to me, hold my hand and listen to me and be with me while I told all of those people what I had done, what had happened to me, and what is going on right now. 
I was received with so much grace that it was overwhelming. And Emily, she could sit there and see people giving me grace, but what it was creating in her was a sense of anger because Johnny's not getting punished. (laughs) Johnny's getting away with this. People are letting him off the hook. You see, one of the things is that the more I found freedom by telling the truth, the more Emily was put into a prison. It became abundantly clear that the more truth that I told her was not immediately setting her free. The pain that was causing her was causing her to spiral in her emotions, spiral with her with her imagination. Eventually, this would start to wane and eventually start to calm down as we continued to move through the process. It was intense. And that sometimes, I'll be quite honest, it was terrible. There were times when I couldn't understand why she stayed with me, and I was really just waiting that after the next time I confessed that she was going to say that this is it, that was, that's the last one, I'm done. And I believed that. For another year to come, I still believed that, that if she found anything else new, and unfortunately, um, she did. I still wasn't get quite getting everything out, but it took time, and I eventually did get it all out. Um, It was in May of 2019 that I found my current Sex Addicts Anonymous recovery group that I intend every Friday. And uh, I moved from the first group, the caregivers group that I figured out I could hide in, to this group now where I I found out two very important things in that meeting that very first day. Number one, and most important, I was not alone. I sit in a room every Friday with 20 to 30 men, depending on the day of attendance, and they're all there sharing similar stories that sound just like my story, but it's not the same because I'm unique, but they're sharing their stories in such a way that I know that I'm not alone. The other thing I learned that day, I was not going to be able to BS my way past them. They were going to sniff me out, and they were not going to let it go easily, and that was what I needed. I needed to know that I couldn't get away. I couldn't gaslight. I could not pretend to be something that I wasn't with these guys, that only being rigorously honest, only telling everything and being open and transparent was going to be my path to being completely free once and for all from my addiction. The recovery was going quite well. Emily and I were working through the hardest of everything that we can work through And the great news is that in uh, September of 2020, on our anniversary, our 33rd anniversary, Emily and I renewed our vows. We stood in front of 75 of our friends that knew our story. And we were able to share with them this moment where we re-exchanged new vows that we had written. Emily, at the very beginning of the ceremony, stood up and read this statement, this statement of betrayal, this story of the devastation, but then hope and then healing that was in a continuing process. And then we had the ceremony. And our senior pastor that I made this disclosure to, he was the one that did the ceremony for us. It was such a beautiful time. We're so grateful to everybody that showed up to celebrate that time with us. So moving on into my personal sex addiction recovery, 
you know, I'm moving through the process. I'm discovering that I was powerless over my addiction, that my life had become unmanageable as a result of that. I found out that I was not in my right mind and that I needed to grab a hold of somebody that was bigger than me that could restore my sanity. The good news is I'm telling you that in my life, that's Jesus Christ. But I also had to make the decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of Jesus so that he could be the author of my recovery, so that he could be the one who would firmly establish the miracle that I am no longer a sex addict, but now I am recovering from that addiction. And I get the blessing of recovering one day at a time. So moving on into recovery, now I'm starting to unfold all of my character defects. You see, I did not necessarily have character defects when I became an addict, but I developed them over the years. I became a liar. I became a coward. I was deflecting and blaming all these things that I was doing, the self-pity. My poor self-image was just so low that I could never believe that I could receive anything good. And I would hide from it and I would self-destruct and I would self-sabotage. But through recovery, I found the beauty of what's behind transparency, behind vulnerability. Those things bring true intimacy. The greatest gift that I ever received and took advantage of was the idea and executing of rigorous honesty. Rigorous honesty is an honesty that you do not allow to happen to you passively. You go out and seek the truth. And when you find an inconsistency between what is true and the way you lived your life, you confess it, you talk about it, and you heal it, and you move on from it. And the greatest thing that I can tell all of you listening today, I have no more secrets to tell. I live my life every day in such a way that do not do anything that you have to confess. That's me. Johnny, don't do anything that you have to confess. Always leave a place where you're always talking about everything with Emily. I made a promise to Emily during our vow renewal ceremony, and I call it my three penny promise. Three pennies because that's all I really had to my name that was honorable, good, and dignified. And those three pennies represent these three statements. I was clean yesterday. I am clean today. I will be clean tomorrow. So this is my story. This is my story of how a young boy who started out life wanted to pursue so many kinds of dreams turned into a man who would betray his wife and his moral values, moved from that place of torment and betrayal and lying and, and cowardice to a place now where there is victory every day because there's victory in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to my story today. It was my privilege to be able to share it with you. And my prayer that if there's anything in here that you heard, that maybe for the first time in your life, the one thing you heard is that I am not alone. Thank you so much. Wow, Johnny, thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, I can see through the history of your life that the enemy of your soul 
really got to you when you were a child and got you off track into a life that you never asked for or wanted, but you did eventually have the courage to come out of that. And I, for one, am so grateful that you did so that we can stand here together living out this victorious life that God has given us through his amazing redemption of our marriage. So join us next time as we tell our story together. Thank you so much for joining us today. And before you go, if this podcast encouraged you and you're feeling some hope for today, please share this show with someone else you know who is going through a similar situation and needs to know that they're not alone. One of the best ways you can help us reach more people is to leave us a written review on Apple Podcast. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And as always, we would love to hear questions from you that we can answer in our midweek show. Just email us at support at beyondbrokenvows.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.